Welcome to our podcast. We are the Kinotomic, a movie podcast that bridges the cinema nostalgia of the golden age of Hollywood with the explosive modernity of contemporary cinema. I am your host, Danny, and with me, as always, is my co-host, Nick. Hello, everybody. Thank you for joining us today for another conversation about some of our favorite films. Before we delve into our theme of the day, let's hear what Nick has been seeing lately. So... Yeah. Um, so last week we had uh, Daniel Day-Lewis, didn't we? We had, yes, we had we Daniel did. Day-Lewis. Um, so how how would you how would you go from Daniel Day-Lewis to Michael Mann? What, what Last would be of the Mohicans. Last of the Mohicans. I rewatched Mass of the Mohicans for the first time in I well over a decade. It's been a long time since I'd seen it. Um, like I know it's one of those films like I know I've seen because like I was watching it and think oh, I recognize that scene I recognize that scene, but it was like, yeah okay this I I it's been long enough for me to kind of forget the details. Um, it's unsurprisingly stood the test of time. I mean, um, it's not really one of those films where people look back and go, oh, was it really that good? I think it is actually that good. Um, kind yeah. of, yeah. No, it's 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 pretty. I mean, you'd be surprised to hear that a pretty damn good film is a pretty good damn film. <laughs> um, you know, like it's not really much of a surprise. Um, I thought, yeah. I mean, it was kind of interesting watching the film back um, because it. it, it uh, my left foot um and the film before in the name of the father um it's really interesting watching how daniel day lewis kind of i don't know just it, it, it just it doesn't it doesn't come across like the same sort of performance if that makes any sense like in in my left foot and in, in the name of the father like He's very much like the center of the scenes in which he's in, even with the scenes in In the Name of the Father that he says with Pete Possifwaite, who is a side character in Last of the Mohicans. In this, yeah. Yeah. Um, which, you know, was was a pleasant, pleasant surprise. Um I think, you know, in in Last of the Mohicans, it's very much like it's an on. It's more of an ensemble. Like it's more like it doesn't center around his performance. It centers around the actual, the whole lot, everything else around it. If that makes any sense. Yeah. Um, yeah. It was. It was pretty. Pretty good. Um, pretty. Pretty good. That's kind of it. I mean, like, I mean, I did. I did rewatch because I alluded it to alluded to it last week that I was listening to the soundtrack. So. But I find I rewatched Mission Impossible Fallout. Um, so unless uh, uh, do you want me to talk about Mission Impossible Fallout for the next forty five minutes? Because no, I don't think I do. Um, um, let no. me check. Um, no, I don't. No, no, you you had to check your notes to see if that was the thing. Take notes. The answer is no. The answer is no. Um, 
yeah so that's that's kind of it i haven't actually had a chance to get to the cinema i think the next time i'm going to be able to get to the cinema would be to see top gun maverick um which i'm kind of apprehensive about because i i don't like top gun like the first so the, the, why the, the, are no, you going to see it because it's it's big you know planes on the big screen and it's the new tom cruise um okay. do you think that's you a know, good idea it's it sounds to me when i heard that they were making a second top gun i was like why just why if you can make it if you can do a part two of a movie of a classic 80s film i mean if, you, if you're gonna do you should if, i mean I mean, I, I think I think if you're gonna do a sequel to a Tony Scott Tom Cruise production, it should be Days of Thunder. Like that's the one you do because I want to hear more about what happened to Cole. You know what happened to Cole? Um, I don't but, remember anything know. from Days of Thunder. <laughs> Is that about the race? Yeah, that's the NASCAR one. Yeah, it's really good. Okay, of course <laughs> um, it's because yeah, is that the because you love. Formula One, don't you? Yes, yeah. Um, no, I I want to see it because I'm 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 interested, but I'm I'm kind of a bit apprehensive because I didn't like Top Gun very much. But what if I was to go with what I love, what I like about it? It would be Tony Scott's style. But when I watch the trailers, when I see the trailers for for Top Gun Maverick, it it you don't have Tony Scott behind it. So you're losing something that makes, you know, makes Top Gun Top Gun, if that makes any sense. Um, yes. I'm not saying like it's going to be bad or anything. I think Joseph Kaczynski is a, is a very, very talented filmmaker. I did like Oblivion. Um, I thought it was pretty good. And I thought um, his uh, Tron Legacy film visually, that was really, really good. Um, if the you know the story wasn't that great, but I don't think that was a problem from him. Um, so we'll see, we'll see. I mean, I'm gonna go see it because you know, fighter jets on the big screen. Who doesn't want to see that? Um, I could live without seeing that. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I want to see right. faces on the big screen. You you want to see? Do you want to see faces that are off? Do you want to see face off on the big screen? That could be fun. That actually could be fun. I don't know why I was trying to catch you out with that. You know, you you know, you're a sucker for Nicolas um, Cage on the big screen. So, so spe- yeah, uh, that's me done. But speaking of things on the big screen, you went and saw something on the big screen. I did, I did, and I was actually looking forward to talking uh, to talking about this film again. And it, I think I texted you afterwards. I thought uh, saying that I it would have been amazing that if every film that we discuss on the podcast, we could see it prior to us discussing on the podcast, we could see it on the big screen because had I seen, yeah, had I seen cabaret on the big screen, which I did just yesterday, I would have maybe had more enthusiasm towards it. It is a magnificent film, a beautiful dance of a film and so well edited so well choreographed to to the nth degree great performances throughout i think we discussed about this and i think you had a bit of a 
surprise when I told you that I wasn't very keen on Sally. And yeah. I was thinking about it last night because I came out of the movie and I had, I have incredible respect towards Liza Minnelli. I think she's amazing. Okay. I have hats off to her. She can do stuff that very few people can do. She's made her mother proud. You know, you can see Judy's spirit in her, in that performance. She has an amazing voice. But I think the problem with with Sally for me was that she's there's not character development to, to Sally. The the story starts and ends with her being who she is, but there's nothing there's no change in her. And you kind of you kind of feel that Brian goes back to Oxford and he will have matured a bit more and seen the horrors of Nazi party and he's got more he's got more substance to him whereas sally is just like happy go lucky yeah i can do whatever i'll you know to go to go back to what my initial point was at the in the and when we first did the episode like that just totally that just makes sally's character all the more tragic it's tragic it's very tragic but i don't have to sympathize with her do i i think what upsets me with sally is that it's a it's a time in in history where you have to be I don't know, you have to be aware, more aware of what's going on and not be so self-centered. It's something that I cannot, I cannot relate to. And this is actually quite an interesting thing because um, prior to me going to see in the, in, on the big screen, I was watching and listening to some podcasts and, and um, vlogs about how the Nazi came to power and how it all progressed. So it was very interesting to have that sort of background information going to see Cabaret again, because it was very well documented. The film has a lot of background, you know, blink and you miss it, some fights between communists and Nazis. And I think the the Baron or what Maximilian says at one point, oh, we're just going to... Um, led Nazis to take care of the communists and then we're going to take care of the Nazis because we can have, we've got them under control. Um, and we know that that's not the, the case, but apparently that's, was, that what, that's what the spirit of the era was. Like, yeah, people in charge thought, okay, we're going to let Nazi Nazis take power little by little and then we're going to sort of get rid of them. But that's not what happened. So Sally is, is sort of her character still still sort of sticks up like a sore thumb, and is, she's quite tragic, but in in a very oblivious kind of way. Anyway. Uh, any any other thoughts on the film? Just brilliant, absolutely brilliant. The choreography, the dance, the the music, Joel Grey, amazing, so amazing. Oh my god. I think my, my the best part of the whole film is Joel Grey. I just can't. I can't I think imagine. I, said last, I think I said last week that one of, the, one of one of the great things about seeing Cabaret on the big screen was the fact that Joel Grey's face takes up such a big part of it, and it's just See, like it's something you I'm, don't really know. Yeah, I'm a sucker for faces. I don't know. I I should have been born in the wrong decade. In the in you know, um, in a different we, decade. We know- we know that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, um, it's just, 
And I was I was also watching this film with a thought in mind that I'm going to see in a couple of weeks' time. I'm actually going to see, to the Kit Kat Club in London, so I'm actually very very excited. So for those of you who don't know, there's a Kit Kat, there's a cabaret play, musical play in London running until I think November 2022 and from last November until March 2022 I didn't I didn't get managed to get tickets but the um, master of ceremony Joel Grey's character was played by Eddie Redmayne now they have a different actor in the role um, and I'm going to see it in a couple of weeks but Eddie Redmayne won some won the Olivia Award for best musical I think best actor yeah, in the musical that. And Jessie Buckley was playing Sally. Jessie Buckley can do no wrong in my in my opinion. She's brilliant. She's uh, absolutely. Do you know who's doing Sally and? Um, I Master don't know who's doing Sally. Sally now. Now um, I can check for you after our episode. But yeah, I think Jessie. I mean, I'm I'm sorry to have missed Jessie Buckley because she can sing, she can dance, she can do whatever. She can do drama, comedy. She's just so talented. Yeah. I'm a big fan. I think she's one of the best actresses best young actresses no offense to Florence Pugh but I, I prefer Jessie and now you're upset no 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 <laughs> each each to their own each to their own so this is um now we are ending this episode prematurely because of certain uh sentences that have just been spoken um, <laughs> <laughs> and this is the end of the podcast that's it that's it. it the end of the podcast we're done I'm deleting your number as we speak that's it all done bye drop Mick <laughs> yeah I can say after everything that we've spoke about on this podcast that would be pretty funny if that was the thing that did it um, yeah <laughs> okay so yeah that's kind of what I saw on the big screen and I was yeah very happy to call uh, it's the 50th anniversary of, of Cabaret, isn't it? There's been lots of articles yes. on, in the press about it and yeah, how so it revived it's... the musical as we know it, and rightfully so. Yeah, because we had... Uh, it's the 50th anniversary of also God, The Godfather um, and Cabaret. I was One of the things I was a bit kind of... I wouldn't say concerned about, but I was uh, thinking, you know, because there was a lot of press around the whole 50th anniversary of The Godfather... And I was kind of thinking, oh, would they do the same with Cabaret? Because is has you know it is is Cabaret s- still held in this high regard? You know, when you think about it, you yeah. know, it, like I said, you know, it was the film that beat The Godfather, and I was quite happy to see that you know that is the case that you know Cabaret is still you know yeah. being shown. Um, and uh, because it is the 50th anniversary, I did a silly thing yesterday and looked at the schedule for the Prince Charles Cinema in London. I was um, just I, about to say that. I don't live in they... London. Um, and they have... They're doing, over the next few weeks, they're doing Bob Fosse films. So they've had Cabaret. The next movie they're showing the Bob Fosse thing is Lenny, which is the Dustin Hoffman um, semi-biopic movie about yep. Lenny Bruce. Um, which I would love to get on the podcast because it's the last Bob Fosse film, the last good Bob Fosse film, because Sweet Charity isn't very good. Um, and then they're showing all that jazz uh, in 4K, and I'm incredibly jealous because I won't be able to make it down to London in August. 
Um, uh, if anybody knows anything of the podcast, All That Jazz is my favourite movie. And I have not yet seen it on the big screen. Um, so I really hope you do. I, I hope you do, Danny. Um, I hope you do. It'd be interesting to see, to know if they end up showing Star 80 as well. If they can source um, it, yeah, I don't think so. It, it's not. Um, it's not. I'm looking at the at the schedule as we speak, and I don't think it. Uh, it's showing. I'd imagine that's just due to a sourcing issue because I'd imagine that movie is impossible to find a, a yeah a print probably. of. Um, yeah. Because I mean, you know, we I had to find a, a Region Zero DVD to to view it, so. Um. Yeah. Um. Cool. Shall cool. we delve into our uh, main point of focus for today? What do you? What would you say is our today's theme? Is it criminals? I mean, th- thieves, isn't it? Thieves and thieves. thieves. Not the not thief. Uh, because we did thief. Um. Um. Uh, thieves. So we're back on. We're back with thieves, aren't we? Yeah, I think we. I think that's the most common. Th- There's a lot of things that we that we're talking about today that we've spoken about before. Um, yes. We seem to have a thing for thieves. I think. Okay, so should we start with the chronologically with the oldest film? Yes, let's do that. So the first film we'll be talking about is 1941's High Sierra, directed by Raoul Walsh. We've already had uh, another Raoul Walsh film on the podcast during our November. If you remember, we looked at White Heat. Yes, we did. With James Cagney. Here's Uh, a quick synopsis. What film did we pair that with? White Heat. Sorry. Dick Tracy, that was it. Yes, it was Dick Tracy. (laughs) Here's a synopsis. After being released from prison, notorious thief Roy Earl is hired by his old boss to help a group of inexperienced criminals plan and carry out the robbery of a California resort. So, what did you think of High Sierra? Um, Do you remember what the name of the movie was that I was like, right, we should remake this? That was it. It was Paid, wasn't it? It It was Paid. I said we should remake Paid. If I remember rightly, was it in this? No, our life? it was. It was in this our life. No, it, it was, was in this um, our life. Was it? It was the Betty no, Davis one, wasn't it? It was the other one. It was the other Betty Davis one. A stolen life. Stolen life. That was it. So, last the last movie I remade on this podcast was a stolen life. Um, this is the next movie that I would like to remake. Um. And I'm not saying this because the film is bad or anything. I'm just saying that because I feel like the story could really, really quite easily be translated into the modern day. Um, Yeah. You know, even the themes are like modern and universal and kind of what happens is really, really interesting. Um, I think this is the podcast. I mean, this is already the second Raoul Walsh. It's the second Bogart this season and the fourth overall. And I'm <laughs> pretty sure he has had the most appearances on the pod. Um, if you discount uh, 
if you discount the special episodes that we've had. I know Better Davis might be higher if you, if you count that. But anyway, um, yeah, something about Bogart, isn't there? Um, this is also my first Ida Lupino. Uh, yeah. It's a name that I know of, but I don't haven't seen any of her on-screen or off-screen films. Not due to ignorance or anything. I just just haven't got around to it. You know, it's um haven't got around to it. With the film itself, I thought for hundred for a hundred minutes because this film is about is a is about hundred minutes long. The film moved at a, a real pace, um, but because of that, I felt as though some of the side plots were kind of rushed. Um, and I almost felt as though like the emotional connection between us and the characters on screen kind of ended up becoming coming quite short because of that. Um, I I don't I don't think it's a performance issue. I'm not saying this is a, a, a that you know the performances were bad or anything. I I just I quite the opposite. I just think that the film does a lot with its within its running time, and I really do think the film could have dealt could have done with another twenty minutes just to let the film. Breathe a bit more. Breathe, yeah. Um, that's kind of the best way for me to put it. Is like, there's this whole side plot with with Ray Royal and Belma, which is an interesting side plot. There's an interesting theme there about him seeing his what he potentially could have had if his life had gone another way, and it, it rushes through it to get to the you know to get to the final kind of development of the film with the jewels and then you know unable to get the money and all this kind of thing so and i i think if you had that extra time to kind of just like i said just let let these things just kind of breathe through it 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 wouldn't it would have kind of been more impactful Film, the film itself, I think it's just it is about the character of Roy Earl and his kind of self-destruction. Um, you know, and we see the 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 what if kind of you know scenario that he could have lived through, and when that kind of falls apart because Velma doesn't love him, you know, then that kind of that that cements his kind of end of you know the end of his end of his road kind of thing and Ida Lupino's uh, Marie Maria you know she is also you know a criminal that is has a past and a history that is you know has been as 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 corrupted as as Royals so when their future is not like it's doomed to from the get go the moment they meet um I think Bogart Bogart played him played Royal with an assurance and there was this kind of simming rage underneath him and I think there was like uh an authority to his performance. He felt like I think with with this kind of rage simmering underneath him, you, you saw that kind of come in flashpoints, especially when dealing with, you know, the two the two men that he's that he worked with on the job and their kind of disagreement over Maria. Um, what was the name? Babe and um, Red. Red. Um, 
that whole sequence in the you know the cabin and dealing with those two was like you know this this guy's in charge you know you gotta listen to him um yeah sorry just kind of my, my notes are a bit kind of scattered with this um he he journeys he journeys up to the mountains which you know visually looks incredible you know that the cinematography for that whole entire section was really really quite something um and i think you know his journey up the mountains wasn't him looking for a way out it was because that was kind of where he would led he's been led to it's a it's a dead end for him and he knows it i think yeah he didn't want to end up in prison again um the scene so there's kind of like a recurring thing in here about so when he leaves the prison he immediately asks where the park is because he wants to enjoy the space and he wants to enjoy the greenery when he's like and then he has this space around him and he's enjoying his freedom but the closer and closer he gets to the mountains the more that is symbolically of him going back into you know like symbolically up against the wall you know you think about the scene at the at the uh, the kind of like the rest stop when there's all this space around him, like the, the plains around him, and then you've got these gigantic mountains just blocking looming. all, yeah, looming over. Um, you know, it's it's him just it's him trapped almost when he when he goes up there. Um, even when he comes back down, you know, it, to 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 kind of sort out all the all the jewels and stuff. You know, the film never recovers from that from that space that is shown. It's like a foreshadowing, um, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I felt the role of Maria uh, felt as though it was one that could have been more utilised. Like I said, I I think if any of the characters felt shortchanged due to this, the breakneck speed of everything, I think it was her. Although the performance yeah. of Ida Lupino was, was really, really, really good, I think her character was one that could really have benefited from that extra 20 minutes so I was, I was referring to. Um, I think I, th- I don't get me wrong. Like it sounds as though I'm being quite negative, but I, the film is really, really good. I mean, I I don't know. I've I'm really known a film like this of this era to kind of move at such a speed, um, yeah. and just cram so much in within this hundred minutes. Um, you know, I I know it. You know, I knew that this was, you know, the first of the one-two punch of of High Sierra and the Maltese Falcon of. 41 and i knew that this how important this film was as development of bogey as a star you know and on that front i wasn't disappointed i just think you know the film like could have like i said like it it, it just just take a minute or 20 you know like it just needed some breathing space um and then on final note i mean i've never seen a dog so pitiful pivotal to the plot before (laughs) <laughs> um maybe apart from the dog in game night i think oh that dog in game night oh my god so cute um um, um, um i think yeah the dog in game night might be as pivotal <laughs> um obviously this is discounting you know that was dogs comfortable like lassie dog. and homeward bound or anything um <laughs> yeah no one of the best on-screen dogs ever maybe um yeah i think I'll have to go. He was the Bogger's dog in real in real life. That's why he really? loved him so much. Yeah, that's pretty cool. Yeah, um, I'm gonna have to look through the other films that we've we've 
done to see if there's another dog <laughs> like his, that, that his name was zero close. zero um yes. i'm just gonna just have a quick scroll through and see if i can see like any if any other dog performances there's there's obviously um uh what's the name of the dog Asta. in anchorman no, well, I, was thinking of, uh, I don't know but there's there's asta in the big in the thin man the thin man yeah yeah. Um. Oh, what's the name of the dog in Anchorman? I don't. Oh know. God, that's gonna really. That's gonna do my head in. Baxter. Did you decide on on recasting High Sierra, and who would you cast as Bogart's character as Royal? <laughs> I didn't actually think about recasting. I didn't know. Like, I didn't think about like recasting. I was just like, oh, this film would be really good if you were to remake it now. Yeah. Yeah. Um. I don't know, like who is who is today's Humphrey Bogart? Oh, do we have I mean, one? I don't think we do. I don't. Oh, really don't think we yeah, do. We don't, we don't really have someone one. who walks in, who walks in a scene, and you just hold your breath on whilst in you're in the cinema, on, you know, in, in darkness. I can't. I mean, what kind of age are we looking at? We're looking at like forties. Like he's got to be, he's got to be in prison for a good like fifteen years. So, like, I mean, Denzel's too old now. I mean, Denzel would have been a good one, but he's too old. Denzel could, yeah, Denzel could could have done it about fifteen years ago. I think he might still yeah. be able to pull it off because he's got that face. I think he would have been the the role. He would have been the best for for the role of um, was it Mac? Is the name of the gangster guy? Big Mac. Doc. No, Big Mac. The the guy in the bed. Yeah, Big Mac. Yeah. Big Mac. I think like you know yeah. Denzel would have been would be good for that as just like somebody that you're just like oh no that's that's a very very scary man that is you know in charge of everything. Yeah. Um I don't know like who would be a good who's a, who's kind of a comparative to to Ida Lupino then because you want somebody in like the you know you don't want to you know you don't want a, a a Florence Pugh or or a you know anybody that age you want somebody a little bit older. Um mm. Emily Blunt. Emily Blunt. Or Amy Adams. I think she's too Amy Adams, maybe. I think Amy Adams could be a good one. I think Amy Adams would be Or Kate um, Blanchett. I was going to say Rosamund Pike. Rosamund Pike, yeah. Um, Jessica Chastain. uh, Jessica Chastain, that was the one I was thinking of. Yeah, Jessica Chastain. So we've got Jessica Chastain (laughs) in the Ida Lupina role as Maria. Um, And we still still don't have... We still don't have a bogey. Um, I mean, like... Maybe Idris Elba, maybe Tom Hardy. Tom Hardy, yeah. He could pull it off, I think. Or no, I th- I think he could. Killian Murphy. No, I think I think I think got... I think I don't know. Like Killian's got the face. Yeah, but like I don't know. I I think he's a bit too weird for that thing. I think Tom Hardy's a good one. Okay. Cool. So we're saying Tom Hardy and Jessica Chastain in our remake of High Sierra. Yeah. 
and Amy Adams yeah. as Velma. I did not like Velma's and, character. She was very fickle, and I do agree that she could have she could have been like her character. Velma would have been better, more extended and like more focused on, and it could have been more like fifteen twenty minutes added to the story to see yeah. how superficial she was. What struck me when I first saw it and how, how she changed towards him as soon as she was able to walk properly. And it was a big, it was a big blow. I think, I think, yeah, that, 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 that kind of whole bit was just like, you know, he warned that, you know, she was engaged and stuff, but it was just like, she almost was like leading him on. And as soon as like she could walk, it was like, I don't love him. I don't want to, you know, it's like a teenage girl. Like, I don't care what you've done for me. I'm going to be with this man that is probably not going to be good for me. And yeah, I'm not saying like, I'm not saying like Royal would have been good for her. It's just like, you know, there's, you know, I don't know. It it just felt that just that whole scene just felt off. The whole thing to do with Velma felt off, to be honest, like when, when they were traveling down the road and, you know, like, that that whole little, little sequence there with the cars and stuff, I was like, oh, that seems a bit, I don't know, a bit, cool. you know, gee whiz, you nearly right. hit me, mister, instead of, what the fuck <laughs> are you doing? Which is what it should have been. Yeah. So, um, have you got any other notes on... Uh, no, I don't. No, that's me done. So, cool, thanks. Um... Yeah, so you probably know this, but I've been looking forward to talking about this one from ages and ages ago. As you said before, it's a turning point in the career of one of the greatest stars of all time. And I think we've established that this is where Boger's personality shines. Uh, he was a good actor, but he was. this is where you can see how his personality shines and where you see him soar. And nobody said it better than John Huston. And I have a quote. Start quote. Bodhi was a medium-sized man, not particularly impressive off screen, but something happened when he was playing the right part. Those lights and shadows composed themselves into another, nobler personality. Heroic, as in High Sierra. I swear, the camera has a way of looking into a person and perceiving things that the naked eye doesn't register. End quote. And you can see him here as more master of himself so to speak because this was one of the first leading roles that really fit him and he knew that this is going to be a career making role and I have I have a few um, funny stories about how he managed finally to get his hands on the role because it was not easy so the part was originally intending for Paul Muni and then he Paul Muni did not like the first draft of the screenplay which was authored solely by John Huston then, because Paul Muni wasn't happy, Wallace, Halbert Wallace, the chief production chief at Warner Brothers, um, reached out to the book's author, W.R. Burnett, to assist Houston in the second rewrite. And then it was presented to Muni, who still disliked it, and then he just basically turned the role completely. Then Bogart sent a telegram to Wallace, com- continuing to express interest in the role. And then George Raft was approached. And then Bogart, because he had worked on with Raft on just the previous film that they did, was they, did, they Drive by Night with, incidentally, 
Ida Lupino in. So just a, um, a sidestep here. I don't, I haven't seen many of Ida Lupino's screen roles. I've seen okay. her direction in The Hitchhiker. And I've seen her role in High Sierra and I've seen her role in They Drive By Night. And my God, she's amazing. They Drive By Night is, by, is so good. So George Raft, Bogart and Lupino worked together on They Drive By Night. And then they came, it, then it came to, to working on this film. So Bogart, knowing that Raft was trying to change his image and move away from gangster roles, he mentioned to Raft that the studio was trying to get him to do another gangster movie where he gets shot at the end. So then Raft marched into Wallace's office and refused to do the movie. And then finally they gave it to, to Bogart. Not to mention that um, Ed, Edward G. Robinson and James Cagney were all sort of invited to, to do a screen test for this film. So basically every heavyweight at Warner Brothers was offered the role before Bogart was was given the role because then they didn't see him as a leading man. They just didn't. He, he proved them wrong, didn't he? <laughs> yeah, he really did. And this was the last movie that Bogart made when he did not receive top billing. So because uh, Ida Lupina had been um, so good in They Drive By Night, her name ended above the Bogart title card and he, Bogart was not very happy about it. And apparently him and Ida Lupino didn't really get on during filming. But um, because after after the film released was released, they put Bogart's, film, Bogart's name on uh, top billing. I think one of the reasons that the film feels so rushed at times was that because... The film was rewritten a few times and the main character was like the main cast were was Bogart and not Paul Muni, who was an A-lister. Bogart was a, were a secondary character at this stage. They might have thought, OK, we're, we're going to make this is going to be more like a B movie. So they didn't actually put everything into it. But like you said, it's it's still the talent of the cast and the director and the writers. It's it. It shines through. So yeah, um, I'm glad that we got to talk about it um, because after this, you got you get to see Bogart in the Maltese Falcon, and from then on, the sky is the limit. Very much so. I'm trying to think when the last time I saw the Maltese Falcon. It's been a good few years. I think I see it about every year or every other month. <laughs> <laughs> Cool. So, yeah, and then finally, the yeah, part played by Zero the dog was Humphrey Bogart's dog in real life. It was a very, very good dog. It was a very cute dog. So, um, I think we're pretty much done with High Sierra, and I'm really glad that we got to talk about it. Yeah, no, it. I, I don't want to sound. I don't want to seem as though I was being negative or anything. Like I did. No, enjoy no, it, I know. I understand it. what you're saying. Um. I mean, maybe maybe it's like just one. It's one of, another thing, like you know, because like the first time I saw, um, yeah, speaking of the Maltese Falcon, the Maltese Falcon, and and the Big Sleep, you know, those two films took me like two, three watches for me to like be finally understand what the fuck was going on. 
Um, <laughs> whereas, like High Sierra, maybe maybe it would take maybe it would be like another viewing for that film to kind of fall into place, as it were. Um, yeah. I don't know. I don't know. I do um, think that some of the movies that we talk about on the podcast might need to second viewing to fully appreciate them. I think. I think. Uh, I think. You know, if I'm if I'm going to transition over, I think. You know, Miami Vice would be one that would be good for a second viewing. Right, uh, really? <laughs> I do actually. I do. Speaking I, of I legitimately, Miami Vice, I legitimately think that Miami Vice for you would be like do better on a second viewing because you like going okay. in knowing what to expect, um, which kind of mm-hmm. has me on like is my way of saying I'm really worried about this next one <laughs> so this is um the 2015 so film My- michael mann's 2015 film his last theatrical film thus far it's been seven years and counting since we've had a michael mann movie oh dear god which, you're right yeah seven years um he actually has another one in production at the moment he's doing a movie about uh, enzo ferrari um, starring um, my uh, Adam Driver as Enzo Ferrari. Hmm. Um, it's a movie that he's been wanting to do for years, and then there was um, then there was the Ford v Ferrari film that came out, uh, which kind of you know they were like, oh, we can't have two Ferrari movies. Um, but this one's this one's like one he's been wanting to do for years. Um, yeah, so that's got Adam Driver as Enzo Ferrari and uh, Penelope Cruz as Laura Ferrari, so I'm very much looking forward to that. Anyway, we're not talking about Ferrari, we're talking about uh, Black Hat uh, from 2015, starring Chris Hemsworth, um, Viola Davis, uh, Lee Hong Wang, Tang Wei, uh, Holt McCallany, um, Johnny Tees shows up as well, which was nice to see. Um, Brief synopsis, if you can a synopsis to this. A man is released from prison to help American and Chinese authorities pursue a mysterious cyber criminal. The dangerous search leads them from Chicago to Hong Kong. Oh god. Danny what did you think of Black Hat? <laughs> wow. So I think best to start with a quote from Pauline Kale. Oh god, I really? Know- it just after finishing watching the film i it just popped into my head and i was i was about to paraphrase it when i realized when i remembered it and i finally found it it's i think it's part of an article called circles and squares as a response to a, something theorized by andrew sari so they had a bit of a back and forth anyway just a little bit uh, of a back and forth <laughs> they've basically battled each other out till yeah Anyway, yeah, yeah, that was, that was yeah. Come it, on. it kind of because I like Michael Mann, yeah? Um, yeah. And here's the quote: "It is an insult to an artist to praise his bad work along with his good. It indicates they are incapable of judging either." End quote. So, having said that, I think this is not Michael Mann at his best. I think 
he maybe needed more time to work through the actual way to portray cyber stuff. I I tried to like it. It just felt really woolly and it just felt like there was a lot of cyber stuff, a lot of computer geeky stuff that it doesn't really mean anything and it doesn't look too cinematic except for the very short scenes where you get to see how the stuff changes, you know, how the quote changes um, at the stock exchange and how that is is done and how they how they sort of do the cyber attack i thought that was really well done and also when when they do the insert the stick into the computer and all like this those, those special sort of sound effects that was i mean the, the best thing about the film was the score i thought it was a very good score and i really liked it there was a, at one point in the film when they have to go to the the nuclear disaster thing and they have all the uh, PPE security stuff it felt a bit like Chernobyl and the sound felt a bit like Chernobyl and I would have wanted a bit more of that tension but it kind of jumped straight into a different thing so have you seen Chernobyl, by the way? Yes, I have. Okay. I made I made the Do mistake. Do you know what I'm talking about? Every, yeah, yeah. I made the mistake of watching every single episode of Chernobyl in one sitting. Everybody has done that because you can't not do it. You just can't not. You can't yeah. not. You can't stop yourself because it's so engaging and it's so. Oh, you have to watch it, even though you know what's going to happen. It's it's one of the best TV miniseries of all time, I think. But yeah, Black Hat, I just felt like the direction wasn't exactly fine-tuned. Like, not in the way we've come to expect from Michael Mann. When you see Thief, you see The Lost of the Mohicans, you, every shot, every almost every frame, you know that you're watching a Michael Mann movie. And also, with, like... Thief and even even I know right even Miami Vice you see you understand that it's a Michael Mann movie and I just felt like there's not it was funny that you mentioned that um High Sierra felt a bit rushed and there was enough there was too much happening and not enough you know focus on one character or one storyline it just felt there was not enough human story human factor in it i think the film likes a bit of a balance between the good guys and the bad guys because we see the bad guys as a kind of like boogeyman unknown factor up until the end they've they're they're you know the dark mass they we don't know anything about them except that they're, they're the bad guy so we don't know what motivates the bad guys they they're just out there wreaking havoc they're like a monster. They're not human. They're too one-dimensional for us to really care about what, you know. It's not like in Heat where you've got the bad guy who's also, you kind of like him. 
You know, you see what I'm talking about? It could have been a great movie, yeah. but it just feels a bit flat. I mean, you have Viola Davis, for God's sake, and you don't give her enough to do. You have really good actors in there, but they just kind of like, all they do is run around, press some keys in, in, you know, grunting and like looking quite serious. And then they move to a different thing. And then it's, it's, a, it's good action, but you have to have the human element in it. You have the sto- love story angle, which is slightly clunkily shoehorned in. I can understand that he's been in prison for how many years and he will fall in love with the first girl he sees. And it's nice to see them sort of develop their love together, but it's just a bit... uh... Okay. Yeah. So, yeah, and (laughs) funny, I mean, you have Holt... How how do you pronounce Holt McCallany? Holt McCallany, yeah. McCallany. He's so good, and I want to see more of him. I mean, this was 2015, so this was pre-Mindhunter. Um, yeah. Because at this, at this time, it, he was still being cast in these, like, side roles. Yeah. And then you have, like, you know, you, you, you have stern looks from Chris Hemsworth trying to act very intelligent. And then you have him realises what the evil plan was all along, and it's just quite anticlimactic. And, like you said in the beginning... Comparing it to this to Miami Vice, I'd rather watch Miami Vice, which I didn't really like, but I think I would like it much better than this one. Um, the film had going for it was a really good score and a really good sound effect. And I felt quite disappointed and kind of betrayed that all the good characters and like the interesting stuff, they just die. Sorry, spoiler alert. It was kind of like hitting a dead end. Because they kill off all, all the characters and it's just kind of like, whoa. And also at the end where you have them going through the airport or wherever they are, they both stick up like a, a sore thumb. Does that mean that they're going to get picked up? Hello? Yeah, no, I, I I'm listening. I'm listening. I'm just saying, I don't, I'm, I'm asking you, is that what it's implied, that they're going to get picked up by the authorities? I, I, I don't see it that way, but, yeah. <laughs> Sorry, yeah. that's me done. I give it okay. a 6 out of 10. Is that a gentleman's 6? With, yeah, with, you know... A, being nice um, to it if i were yeah okay so now you'll huh. tell me why i was wrong no i'm not gonna do that i never do that um <laughs> so this is this is why you're wrong um <laughs> no i so la- at the end of last week i started saying about how i saw this movie in february 2015 um me and my friends had to travel nearly an hour to the nearest cinema showing it um and we got there and it was the three of us and then these four guys came in as well and they sat down towards the front end of the screening and that was it it was just seven of us and about halfway through the movie not even about halfway through the movie but these four guys just got up and walked out they left Um. and then my two mates looked at each other and they literally they were like this is shit 
And I was like, shut up. This is amazing. Now, okay. the version the version that we saw was the director's cut. Um, like I said last week, you know, it is out there if you want to find it. Um, mm-hmm. The version that everybody else had seen, everybody else sees, really, the one that's all available and all this kind of stuff is the theatrical cut. The main difference between the two is that in the theatrical cut, the film starts with the nuclear meltdown so that nuclear okay. meltdown sequence that happens in the middle of the film is is then moved right to the beginning um Why? that is the main di- that is the main difference i don't know um i think so i i don't know looking at it so i'm looking at um uh, an article from about michael mann um so where is it he says, he says, um, he was asked, right, when you do you do first cut, it's like doing an assembly on actual first cut. And he said, at this point, I know that's going to go, that's going to go, that's what I take out now. It's actually your first cut. Um, and he talks about how, like, it's a reauthoring when you're editing. Editing is like writing, you're reauthoring the picture. Um, he says, I have, to Im- I have to be imagining the movie from the end to the front and how all the parts are working together and understand how each component is affecting the other components. I made one major shift in the movie. It's a huge shift. The nuclear explosion used to occur after the storm drain very late in the movie. Um, and he said, it's like putting a hand in the socket, pulling it from the other side. I decided, no, I have to have these events occur in the front. Um, he, I had to reconstruct a lot of the dialogue all along the way. Halfway in his interview, he says the nuclear reactor I heard about, but he didn't hear about it. He hadn't heard about the nuclear reactor because the nuclear reactor had never happened that early. It was kind of mm. tricky. It became much better. Um, and then when viewing that theatrical cut, when originally viewing that theatrical cut, that whole section, that that whole thing is really off. It just feels off. Like it was a, it, was, it very much feels like a last minute decision to move that by from Michael Mann. It wasn't a studio thing; it was a hidden thing. Okay. Um, so that all that stuff that takes place in the in that Chinese office that we saw, um, with them talking and the subtitles all kind of matching with what they're saying, it's not it 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 doesn't say they doesn't say any of that. So everything that we see on the subtitles in the theatrical cut is not what they're saying. It just matches up with what. The, the film see. wants us to see. Um, and our first view, one of the other changes, there's like other bits, you know, gone missing and stuff. But one of the other changes I remember is that the first time we see Hathaway, he isn't reading a book on his bed. He is doing raised push-ups, um, which is, is, you know, your first, your, your first view of the character is not this man is reading a book in prison. This man is doing stuff for himself in prison. It's this man is a meathead, you know, push-ups, you know, feet up against the wall kind of thing. And it changes your first initial, it changes your initial thoughts on Hathaway. Um, The director's cut is significantly better than the theatrical cut. Um, The whole, I I don't know why he made that initial decision to just change it. Because then a few years later, he just like in um, in uh, a year later, he showed a new the director's cut at, at, at the Brooklyn Academy of Music, 
and then that version was then shown on on FX, and then it was shown on it was available to view on Directv, and then but you you know you now can't see it unless you find a way, um, and it is it is a better version of the movie. It's a, it's just a much much better version of the movie, um, because it doesn't make any sense really for that Chinese nuclear explosion to take place at the beginning of the film. It it doesn't make any sense. Yeah. Um why would no, why would you send why, why would you send when... a... you No, I was gonna say why would you send in a a black hat hacker into a nuclear explosion? Doesn't make any sense. No, exactly. You know, it makes sense that he's been brought onto this to this thing when it's all been taking place at the you know, at the um a stock market at the beginning that makes sense and then obviously it builds up from there and then you know it's like there are that revelation of oh yeah no he didn't do the nuclear thing because he wanted to do wanted to do damage he wanted to it was a test run to destroying the turbines so that he could then do this next thing that we are now going to stop um so yeah um one so right i'm trying to think where to go from next um this film was a box office bomb um the budget was 70 million dollars um it opened at number 11 earning only 1.7 million on its opening day making just 4.4 million for its opening weekend it's one of the worst movie debuts ever for a movie playing over 2,500 locations. And then after two weeks, Universal decided to withdraw the film altogether. Because of its poor performance in, Ameri- in American and Asian box office, Universal also opted not to release the Black Hat theatrically in Australia, and it was also scrapped from theatrical release in Belgium and a number of other countries. I was worried that it wasn't going de- to come out over here. There was a lot of talk. There was a lot of kind of rumors and things that it was just going to go straight to DVD and Blu-ray, which would have really annoyed me because I was like, I want to see a Michael Mann movie on the big screen. So when I had found out that I could see it, but it was an hour away, I was like, no, I, we have we have to go. You know, it's a chance to see a Michael Mann movie, a new one on the big screen, because I saw I saw Public Enemies when that came out. But it was like, you know, this I was 19 at the time. I wasn't really aware of Michael Mann as a filmmaker then. It was, you know, 2015. I'm like, I'm 25. I'd seen Heat. I'd seen Collateral. I was like, yeah, bring it on. And, you know, yeah. and so going to go see it was like a huge thing for me. Um, adjusted. So this is still to this day. Adjusted, the film made $9 million. Sorry, what? Um, nine. That's very little. It's what? It's nothing. It's peanuts. uh, That's domestic. So that's domestic. It made $9 million domestic in the US. Um, And in comparison, adjusted, even adjusted for inflation, that is the worst performing Michael Mann movie in the cinema. And that's worse than his 1983 movie, The Keep. So why did you like Um, it? Because I don't see it. I I don't I can't really explain it. I 
the aesthetic of the film just really hit me because it, I think at the time, you know, in 2015, you know, it was kind of we're you know at the start of this, still at the start at that point of all the superhero movies and stuff, and I'd become more aware of at that time, you know, I'd become start was starting to become a bit more aware of what was being shown in the cinemas and and stuff and what was you know what was going to be like a director kind of aesthetic all this kind of thing and i think it was the combination of i don't want to say being exhausted with blockbusters or anything like that because you know you know me like i would go and see the next marvel movie if it came out tomorrow but it's it's more of a it was more of a understanding that this is something different and liking what i'm seeing um even the theatrical cut the theatrical version that i saw the whole the way it felt the way the movie just kind of moved and there were certain like set pieces and stuff like the gunfire for example like hearing that in the cinema was amazing like no one does gunfire like michael mann um and you know that 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 sequence where they're trying they're 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 storming they're trying to catch up with him underneath the the flats and they're coming out onto the dock and you got that incredible shots with the with the the containers and and the pillars and then yeah. when you go to the next the next set piece with with the the stuff that takes place in Jakarta you know that whole sequence of Jakarta with the the extras you know the, they had three thousand extras doing you know this this ceremony. And the and the way it's shot and it's just I mean you saying you're talking about how it doesn't feel like a Michael Mann movie that whole entire final section in Jakarta that is Michael Mann there are shots in that yes. which I'm like no one else does that I agree with you on that but I have to say that a movie a movie can't be just sequences of action. And the ending I, was very Michael Mann, but until you get to that point. It's just, it didn't really resonate with me. I yeah, I mean, I'm not saying I'm not saying you're wrong because it it didn't resonate with a lot of people. <laughs> That's what I mean. You're not alone. Like you're not you are not alone. Um, I this, I I think no. that this will be this will be a man movie which people will go back to and be like. Actually, I was wrong, and I think really? I think I yes no I do I do believe that I think we are I think okay. we, I th- I think we're kind of seeing it. Shall I say with... that quote that I started with again? Go for it. I just feel that you can't just say that all Michael Mann films are great because they're not. I'm not saying all Michael Mann films are great because I think the in I think um the Keep is not a very good movie and that's not really his fault. <laughs> I think, um, I don't think, you know, even though I enjoyed Last of the Mohicans, for me, I don't think it stands on the same, on the same platform as Heat. Um, Ali is, you know, a mid-tier one. I think Public Enemies is perhaps my least favourite if you discount the keep. Like, I didn't particularly like Public Enemies when I saw it, and it's due a rewatch for me. And even then I'm thinking, I don't know if I'm going to like this very much. Whereas Black Hat, the more I view it, the more I go back to it, the more I'm picking. No, I I get this. This is like you don't 
no, you don't make films like this. You know, it, it's a cyber thriller. The, you know, you, you don't, we don't get cyber thrillers. Mm. You know? Um, I'm not buying. No, I, I, fair point. I mean, I get it. I get it. I get it. Because you're not the it only person I have It could have been so much more. Listen, if it had been three hours long, and if we had character development, I would have been happy. I wanted to hear more about Viola's loss on 9-11. I wanted to hear more about her story. Yeah. You know? Sorry. But yeah. No, that's fine. That's fine. Um, okay, so... Uh, like I said, the film opens to 1.7 million. Do you know the name of the movie it opened against in January 16th, 2015? Mm, I feel like I should know this, but I probably... Is, is it a Marvel movie? No, it's not. It's January. It is... So we're, look, we're talking pre-Oscar build-up. It was an unlikely Oscar hit. It was an unlikely hit altogether. Like, nobody expected this movie to kind of kick off because it had the same... The moonlight. Nope, it had the same budget as other movies made by this director. Um, He has a track record of making movies for one studio which are always delivered on time and not over budget. No. No, uh, American Sniper. I was thinking Clint Eastwood because I know Clint Eastwood is very good at budgeting and being under uh, um, on schedule. And yeah. I, I just, I, it, when I was thinking, I was like, "What? Well, what he's? What has he done?" Because I, I, I haven't followed his career as much in, in in recent years. But I did when he said about budgets. I was like, and schedule. I was like, "Oh, it must be Clint Eastwood." Yeah, American American Sniper, like it I've not was seen an that. unexpected success. No, nor have I, but it, it made a lot of money. Um okay. so that's kind of really unfortunate. Um it was really interesting you talk about the film score because the score was uh composed, um, and I put that in quotation marks, by Harry Gregson Williams, uh, who was the guy that did The Martian, uh, most famously The Martian, um, and yes. Atticus Ross. Um, okay, but um, he kind of just used whatever Michael Mann was basically just given stuff, and then he just kind of mix and match whatever he wanted, uh, including some of uh, a guy called Ryan Amon, uh, his music that was originally used for Elysium, the uh, mm-hmm. Matt Damon. A Neil Blomkamp sci-fi movie that is not very good. Um, some of that music was reused in this film. I see. Um, so yeah, Chris Hemsworth um, was cast after Michael Mann saw some rushes, some dailies of uh, Rush, the Ron Howard movie, and realised that this guy was actually an, a good actor. Um, he is a good actor. Before- he is a very, very good actor. He is very, very good. Um, I do, I do like his performance in Rush, um, and I can see how uh, he went from, you know, Michael Mann was like, oh no, yeah, I can, I can see that. Um, it's also the first Michael Mann film to be shot entirely in digital, 
Um, if you remember, Collateral and Miami Vice and Public Enemies were shot mostly on digital cameras, but had certain sequences are shot on 35. This is the first one that Michael Mann did entirely digitally. Mm-hmm. Um, there was something else that I thought was quite interesting. I've said about the 3,000 extras um, for that final final sequence. Um, there was something else. Also, on the so, final sequence, it felt like the bad guy went down too soon. I was expecting more of a showdown. But like I said, because there's no balance in between the good guys and the bad guys, the bad guy was just a boogeyman that it just gets knocked out. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I, I, think, I think the film has this kind of, I don't want to say pleasing, but like almost shocking use of violence in the way that it just, it, it just happens and like brutally and violently. Like, you know, Kossar gets a screwdriver to the temple. Yeah. Like, I mean, I, I've 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 seen a lot of movies. I don't think I've ever seen a guy get a sharpened screwdriver to the head. Um, before, um, there was something else I was going to bring up. I actually had it in my head, and then and then I've forgotten about it. Oh, that was it. Um, this movie shares a line with Manhunter. Um. Uh, the, so this is the the scene when they're in Malaysia and they're staring out onto the the valley, um, and Chris Hemsworth is close up on Chris Hemsworth and he says, um, "That's what you're doing, isn't it, you son of a bitch?" Which is an exact line from Manhunter. Um, okay. One of the one of the one of the critics um, that I found I can't actually find the quote now, but there's a critic that said that um, Chris Hemsworth, Nick Hathaway is almost Will Graham and Hannibal Lecter together. You know, he is he is the criminal and the, the guy stopping the criminal all kind of together in one, which I thought was quite quite an interesting idea. Um critic Richard Brody uh, wrote an article for the the New Yorker called The Odd Shadow of a Michael Mann's new movie, in which he kind of eviscerates the movie for its kind of positive or um shall I say sympathetic and sympathetic portrayal of, of of china and how china is you know basically had to sign off on the film and is you know you can see its fingerprints all over the movie i don't think it's i i can see where he's coming from but i think it's extremely hard on on what the movie is trying to do because i think one of the things that the movie is trying to do is just trying to say that this whole idea of hacking and and black hat hackers and cyber threat and cyber crime that is the thing that affects everybody and all it's going to take is somebody is a is a rogue agent to basically bring down you know the world's economy or the world's food shortages um and to a certain extent we are seeing that today with what's happening in in the Ukraine with Russia um obviously not on a on a cyber level but you know like we you know we see a lot in the news about ukrainian hackers who are basically fighting russian hackers into control of their infrastructure yeah. um yeah. which you know 7 years ago is in a movie is in a hollywood movie which no one thinks about and yet 7 years later it's relevant to what's happening going on today you know the opening oh, scene, the opening the, op- the opening scene with the idea that the the tra- the big 
ship is carrying soy and it's under it's under assured like it's not insured for what's the container like yeah that is we we see that today yeah yeah due to inflation yeah so yeah i um i i love this movie i i it's one of my favorite movies i've seen it quite a lot of times i do hope that uh the ferrari movie comes out soon because michael mann's a really interesting film director and um i think the the hollywood film landscape is a lot uh a lot worse without him in it um yeah yeah um any other thoughts at no, all no um no no I think we're done with Black Cat. I, Black Cat, yeah. Um, so, what are we talking about next week? Okay, so next week, um, I would say we're trying to lighten things up a bit, but not really the case. Um, it also gives me about a week to finish reading the book. So, <laughs> 1940s, The Grapes of Wrath, directed by John Ford. Um... Starring Jane, uh, Henry Fonda, Jane Darwell, John Carradine. Um, talk about Henry Fonda again. Yay. And we are pairing that with 1973's Paper Moon, directed by the late Peter Bogdanovich, starring Ryan O'Neill and Tatum O'Neill, uh, which you are seeing on the big screen on Saturday. Which I am seeing on the big screen on Saturday because it's showing at the Prince Charles Cinema on Saturday the 21st of May at 12... On 35mm. 30. On 35mm. God, I'm so lucky to have the Prince Charles Cinema right in the, you know, in my t- <laughs> town. <laughs> not rubbing it in, not rubbing it in. No, th- this, this, is just, this is just constant payback for all the movies that I get you to watch. <laughs> But yeah, it's it's a good cinema and I love it and I want it to go on forever. Got a really cool um program in the next few months. Really has, yeah. It really, really has. Yeah. It's I almost mean, as though you were it's almost as though you were sat there you were sat there, you know, during Black Hat and you were like, It's fine because I just get to wind Nick up about the fact that I get to go to the Prince Charles cinema. <laughs> um Yeah. Cool. Yeah. So yeah, that's next week. Um, really looking forward to that. Uh, it's been a, a a good while since I've seen Paper Moon, and I actually gives me now an actual timeline to finish Grapes of Wrath, the book. Um, I'm, cool, I'm not really that good. far into it. I really need to finish it because I wanted to finish it. It's not an the, easy read, is it? It. I wouldn't say no. I wouldn't say easy in that it's it's hard as in the language is hard. It's just that the subject matter is just really depressing. It's very depressing, yeah. It's like it's like of mice and men, but longer. Yeah. Which kind of sums and up somehow more heartbreaking. Yeah. Uh, let me get there first. Um, okay. So, with all that in mind, um, Danny, where can we find you on the internet? You can find me on Twitter, still on Twitter at Kina Joan, and my website is keenajoan.co.uk. Is that is that a, is that aimed at me? Yes. Yeah, yeah. Because <laughs> you're I'm, no I'm longer not on, on Twitter. Well, I my my profile's still up on there at Nick S Chandler if you wanted to follow me. But I mean, I'm not tweeting anything, and I'm not deleted all my bookmarks, deleting my app and stuff because I'm like, 
you know, I've, I've got a dissertation to write and I've got stuff to write, so I need a break from it. Plus, the world is just too terrible to be on Twitter at the moment. Um, yeah, well, my newsfeed on Twitter is is peppered with the best photos and scenes of great classic films, so I can't give that up. That's the best thing right now. Yeah, I, I am, I'm a little bit kind of... I have this kind of... FOMO kind of thing going on at the moment because I have to keep I have to keep refreshing deadline to kind of know what's going on at Cannes at the moment. Um, <laughs> yes, it's the the Cannes Film Festival. Lots of lots of news coming out, um, which is really interesting. Anyway, uh, we'll probably talk about that next week. Uh, what's going on at Cannes? Um, so yeah, you can find me on Twitter at Nick S. Chandler. It's not like I'm tweeting, but I'm up on there. My website is superatomovision.com. Um, maybe by next week I would have done my ambulance piece. Possibly. Um, I might actually be writing a piece on Morbius as well because I think it's not fair for Danny to rant for six hours about Morbius, so it might be better for me to put it into language. Although it might just be the <laughs> shit emoji for about 20,000 pages. Um, but we'll get there. Uh the podcast twitter is at keenatomic drop us a follow on there podcast gmail is keenatomic at gmail.com um what do you want to know from our listeners oh your favourite Michael Mann film favourite Michael Mann movie yes favourite Michael Mann I think Heat would probably be up there for a lot of people yeah I mean yeah it's a it's a great Wait, what it, it is one of the best it. films of all time, and <laughs> I could not help I could not help but comparing this film with that because it's just this is what I expect of Michael Mann, and he he kind of has fallen a bit short. Each each to their own, each to their own. Um, let's not yes, rehash yeah. old arguments. Let's move on. <laughs> um, so with all that in mind, um, it's a goodbye and a thank you for listening from me, and a goodbye and a thank you for listening for me.